Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 15 from the World English Bible. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did that which was right in Yahweh's eyes, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. Yahweh struck the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death and lived in a separate house. Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in David's city, and Jotham his son reigned in his place. In the thirty-eighth year of Azariah king of Judah, Zechariah the son of Jeroboam reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, as his fathers had done. He didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck him before the people and killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, behold, they are written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. This was Yahweh's word which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your sons to the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. So it came to pass. Shalom the son of Jabesh began to reign in the thirty-ninth year of Uzziah king of Judah, and he reigned for a month in Samaria. Menahem the son of Gadai went up from Tirzah, came to Samaria, struck Shalom the son of Jabesh in Samaria, killed him, and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy which he made, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Then Menahem attacked Tifsah and all who were in it and its border areas from Tirzah. He attacked it because they didn't open their gates to him, and he ripped up all their women who were with child. In the thirty-ninth year of Azariah king of Judah, Menahem the son of Gadai began to reign over Israel for ten years in Samaria. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. He didn't depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. Pul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Pul one thousand talents of silver, that his hand might be with him to confirm the kingdom in his hand. Menahem exacted the money from Israel, even from all the mighty men of wealth, from each man fifty shekels of silver, to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and didn't stay there in the land. Now the rest of the acts of Menahem and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? 
Menahem slept with his fathers, and Pekahiah his son reigned in his place. In the fiftieth year of Azariah king of Judah, Pekahiah the son of Menahem began to reign over Israel in Samaria for two years. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. He didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. Pekah, the son of Remaliah, his captain, conspired against him and attacked him in Samaria in the fortress of the king's house, with Argob and Ariah, and with him were fifty men of the Gileadites. He killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. In the fifty-second year of Azariah king of Judah, Pekah the son of Remaliah began to reign over Israel in Samaria for twenty years. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. He didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. In the days of Pekah king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser king of Assyria came and took Ijon, Abel-Beth-Maacah, Janua, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, attacked him, killed him, and reigned in his place, in the twentieth year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was twenty-five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the son of Zadok. He did that which was right in Yahweh's eyes. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. He built the upper gate of Yahweh's house. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days, Yahweh began to send Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, against Judah. Jotham slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in his father David's city, and Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. That is the end of chapter 15. So Azariah slash Uzziah lived to be 68 years old. Um, in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16 through 20, it explains exactly why God struck Uzziah with leprosy. It was not just a capricious decision. And I'll just leave you tantalized with that, and you can go read it yourself. And then also note that in verse 22, it tells us that Isaiah recorded things about Uzziah. This can be cross-referenced with Isaiah 1.1, where Isaiah describes the time period in which he received his vision. Uzziah slash Azariah is the first king in the list of four kings of Judah, so we know now that we have entered the time period of the prophet Isaiah. Note that the text says that Jotham, Azariah's son, judged while his father was alive, but it says he reigned after he died, so it wasn't a co-regency going on here. Then also, the Zechariah of the northern kingdom of Israel that was mentioned in chapter 14, verse 29, after Jeroboam, his father, died, is mentioned here again. But in verse 29 of chapter 14, it says that Zechariah began to reign 
after his father died, but here it is specifying six months in Samaria, and it's not saying it's the beginning of his reign. If you do the math, there's apparently about a 12 years gap of sorts that he must have been reigning somewhere else that he was not established in Samaria, possibly due to the power struggle that got him killed when he went there. And after his death, we see reference to the promise of Jehu that was found in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30, about his sons reigning to the fourth generation because he followed God's instructions so well. In the beginning of this chapter 15, Uzziah or Azariah's timeline has been summarized, but then further into the chapter, we get a breakdown of what was happening in the northern kingdom during his 52-year reign. And we see that the governing structure of the northern kingdom is just disintegrating. It's like a banana republic. The first guy is one month. The second guy is 10 years, but there's a lot of loss of territory and giving tribute to the Assyrians. And then we get a mention of the first Assyrian captivity, where large portions of the northern kingdom are taken over by Assyria. I was thinking of this in terms of Jonah, who went to Nineveh, which is in Assyria, and they all repented. So we heard of Jonah in the reign of Jeroboam, who reigned for 41 years in Israel. So it gives the impression that when Jonah went to Nineveh, it was quite a bit before this, because you just can't see a godly king invading Israel like this, at least not without some mention that he was righteously sent by God and was only doing it with the right attitude. So I had already run across some discussion of Tiglath-Pileser in the chronology of the Old Testament, and this has some bearing on the idea of when Jonah went to Nineveh. When talking about the Assyrian kings and how their own or what remains of their own political records coincide with biblical records, you can get into the weeds a lot. But these are not wild weeds. These are weeds maliciously or ignorantly or manipulatively sown by people both then and now. Let me begin by saying that the certainty with which conclusions of various ologists of all sorts are presented rarely match the fragments and dispersion of data points that they're working with. I first learned this when analyzing raw data at UCLA, the University of uh, Los Angeles Library for Research Papers. I have a strong science background. I understand the difficulties of obtaining pure, isolated data that can clearly indicate causation or clear conclusions. When I was looking at these research papers, the conclusions that I saw time after time in the documents was nowhere near what the data represented. Basically, they concluded what they wanted to and explained how that data supported their ideas. In report after report, there would be relatively few samples and the results would be graphed all over the charts, and yet somehow they would see a line that obviously was where it should be. This propensity of experts trying to sound like they know more than they do came up again when I read a book about on-site excavation of Hittite archaeological sites. This author, who was on-site as an archaeologist, was brutally honest about what was actually found and how this was then massaged into textbooks for all ages that made it sound like they knew exactly how these people lived. There were so many presuppositions, so many fabrications of details from one little thing like a line sketch on a shard of pottery. 
And then I read the book Wrong by David Friedman a few years ago that talks about the pitfalls and the misapplications and the propaganda of research. And I knew firsthand what he was talking about. Research results should always be viewed with extreme skepticism. So when I read Dr. Jones's explanation of why conclusions about the Assyrian records are much more questionable than we are often led to believe, I wasn't surprised. Here's a summary of his evaluation. One, each Assyrian year was individually named to honor a significant person. Two, there are disagreements among Assyriologists about how many Assyrian monarchs had the same name. Because of this, a weird system of duplicate numbers after the names has evolved, and that's not even strictly followed. Three, there are good reasons to suspect names have been removed from the Assyrian eponym register, as they call it, and this is based on inconsistencies in order of names, as well as Tiglath-Pileser claiming to be the son of a king who was four kings before him. Four, Assyriologists themselves lament the inconsistencies and apparent alterations of the record about things like achievements attributed to one king when the achievements were also shown to have been more likely the achievements of a previous king. Yet the same experts claim that the Assyrian chronology is a more reliable source than the very well-documented, continuous, and constantly verifiable biblical record. Five, the Assyrian kings themselves left curses on anyone who might be tempted to change the record and rob them of their historic glory. Six, there are records where one king's name is apparently scratched over another, and stones were where records were sometimes cut up and used for other kings' buildings, making the records choppy. Seven, the copies are both consistent and inconsistent in ways that suggest tampering with the record. Eight, we have the clear example of Thutmose III of Egypt trying to obliterate the name of his co-regent aunt. Nine, things are assigned to kings in the Assyrian record when names are not there, and so then names get inserted based on the assumptions of the chronologist, kind of circular reasoning. 10. Whenever the Assyrian list confirms a highly regarded work of Claudius Ptolemy, it also confirms the biblical record, whereas to try to use just the Assyrian list makes the biblical record tortured. If Assyriologists in general applied the same skepticism to the Assyrian lists as they apply to things they don't understand in the Bible, they would have to completely abandon these lists. The Bible is much more reliable. I would add that there seems to be an odd reverence for historical documents of past kings, politicians, etc., especially in the more ancient times, like somehow these people are unlike our current politicians and could be relied upon to document things from a from the purest motives and with complete integrity. Bah! They were also manipulative propagandist powermongers. They took the knowledge of evil introduced into the world and tried to write it like a bull rider. Yet in the end, each was conquered and died in one way or another by the power they were deluded by. There is one thing I think Dr. Jones is unnecessarily adamant about. He reveres the King James Version, or the authorized version as he calls it. While we cannot trust just anyone who says they have an updated translation of the Bible, 
There are things in every good, honest biblical translation that can be studied for better understanding. Obviously, Christian, honest translations that I have seen have done a good job of pointing out passages with slightly different translations, but we also need to understand that the notes are never the text. So, for instance, there is a note in 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 19 in the New King James Version of the Bible that says that verse 29, where it refers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, is referring to the same king. But there is no substantiation of that in Scripture. That is just an assumption based on a misunderstanding of the Assyrian eponym lists. So the text in the New King James Version of the Bible that I have says it just the same way that the World English Bible does and lists them as two kings. It's only in the note that it tries to suggest that they are the same king. However, if you try to make them be the same king, and if you do anything to try to make the Bible fit what people say the Assyrian lists mean, you end up torturing the biblical record and then you can't make sense out of it. People tend to forget that the biblical record is a historical document, and it is very valuable in that in and of itself, but also that it is based on that, that it makes it reliable to be telling us the truths of God. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 